Well, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to John chapter 8. Grab it out on your phone. We're going to be there soon. John chapter 8. Before we do, I'm just going to pray something specific. Uh, Father, I thank you that you are here with us. Holy Spirit of truth, I ask that you'd be ministering to us today. We invite your truth. We turn our ears to you, our eyes to you. We want to receive you. I bind up right now the lies of the enemy. You have no place here. You have no voice here. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. I thank you that your truth, Lord, is the loudest that we're going to hear today. And we thank you that you are renewing our minds daily, Lord. And so we ask that today and every day you be renewing our mind to the truth of who you say we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've called this message The Great Exchange. The Great Exchange because today... We're going to actually be doing an exchange. We're going to replace some of the lies that we've believed about our identity, and we're going to replace it with the truth of the word. Anyone want to replace some lies today? Yes, Yes, me too. Well, our identity, which is what we believe about ourselves, is shaped by, generally, um, our experiences. It's been shaped by our successes and failures those encouragements we get, those negative things people say, the good times and the bad times, the seemingly insignificant words that someone speaks, and then the repeated cycles of praise and trauma that maybe we've received throughout our life. Each of those things changes what we think about ourselves, and what we think about ourselves defines our identity. And what happens is when we have an identity that's fixed, That affects our actions and our attitudes and behaviours. What we're going to find today is sometimes we think things in our mind or we read truth from the scripture and we can say, I know that God loves me, but in my attitudes and my actions and my behaviours, it speaks something completely differently. So we're talking about what we know deep down, not what we know intellectually. Now, let's call these beliefs that we believe about ourselves truths. So I'm putting quotes around them because often, a lot of the time, it's actually lies that we believe about ourselves that become truths in our life. So we're going to call them truths for the examples today. Truth, unfortunately, has become very subjective. So what I believe to be true is very different to what you believe to be true, and it can be about exactly the same thing. We can have completely opposite understandings because our truth is what we've experienced and what we've led to believe. Now, these truths are most often formed in childhood, well before we have the maturity to understand whether it's true or not. Generally, a child believes what they've been told, and that forms this truth of our identity, whether it's actually true or not. We believe it to be truth, and our attitudes and our actions and behaviours speak that truth. Does that make sense? We speak the truth that we know, not the absolute truth that is what we're about to read. Now, one of the reasons we find it hard to shift our childhood understanding is because of what's called the principle of first mention. Now, the principle of first mention says the first time you hear about something or repeatedly hear about something, that becomes truth for you, and everything you hear from then onwards 
you compare it to what you first knew. So that's why what we learn about ourself and our identity in childhood generally stay with us for a long time. And then say you're reading something in the Word or say someone's speaking something positive about you and you've only known something negative. You compare it to what the truth that you knew and you generally decide whether to dismiss it or receive it. And more often than not, for those truths we've received in childhood, we generally dismiss anything else that speaks against that. And so when you're in the Word and you're reading Scripture and God's saying what He thinks about you, and if that's something completely different to your experience as a child, you will end up dismissing all of those truths. And we're going to um, give you some examples today of what that means. Now, to help illustrate it, one of my kids is colorblind. Now, we didn't know this from the beginning, and he sort of came into sort of kindy, pre-primary year one, and what we found is he generally struggles with schooling, and then he was struggling with identifying colors and pictures and things like that, and it was quite inconsistent. So sometimes he would get something really easily, and other times he would get it completely wrong. And what we, at one point, it clicked that maybe he was colorblind. So we did this colorblind test, and if you've done one before, they're like this big, but let's pretend they're this big, okay? So I've got this circle that's this big, and it's full of all of these colored dots that are the same color, and then forming a number is a different colored dots. So say this circle is full of lots of small pink dots, and then the shape of, say, a seven from your perspective is, say, blue dots. And you go through this series, and one by one, these images are appearing in front of you. So for my son, I said to him, all right, when you see a number, I want you to tell me. And I prepped him in advance. When you don't see anything, I want you to tell me that as well. And so we're clicking through. If you're not colorblind, it's like black and white. It's so easy to see. It's like, oh, that's a seven, and that's a three, and that's a four. And when my son was going through it, he would be like, that's a three, and that's a seven. Oh, there's nothing on that one. And I'm like, just, just have another look, because it's like black and white to me. And he's like, there's completely nothing there. It's just a solid circle. And we keep going through these tests, and every now and then, nothing there. That's an eight, that's a two, that's a one. Nothing there. And as you're going, you're ticking Yes, he got it right. No, he got it wrong. And you get to the end, and it gives you a test, and he's completely colorblind. So we didn't know that. So for him, he had these truths that he'd formed about what colors look like that were completely a lie. Now, once he knew that he was colorblind, he would often ask us, what color is this? Is this green? Is that red? Often it's like greens and reds and pinks and browns and grays that get confused. And so he'd be asked us, and he's gradually, bit by bit, becoming to learn that maybe what he believed all his life was now completely different. And do you know what? Sometimes it takes so much convincing that he thinks what I'm saying is a lie. He thinks I'm tricking him. I'm like, that's red. And he's like, no, that's green. And it's like completely opposite. And this truth that he's formed all his life is just formed this stronghold around what he believes. But gradually, bit by bit, that's changing. And now, more often than not, he's like, hey, Dad, is that red or is that pink or is that grey? What we believe, the truths that we, that we form in our life become this stronghold. And when we butt up against something that says something else is completely different, it's really a struggle for us and we dismiss it. Well, the same thing happens when we have formed our identity based on lies. Exactly the same thing happens. 
We've believed these lies all our life or all our childhood. And when we open the scripture and it says, say you've believed that you are unlovable, that you're never going to amount to anything. And we read the scripture and it says that you are loved and God has a purpose for our life. Because we're comparing it to that first mention or those patterns of thinking that we formed in our mind, we dismiss it as a lie. And we say, that can't be about me. But what we're going to learn today is that truth that is in the Word has the power to overcome those lies, and I'm going to give you some steps of how we can go about that. Unfortunately, because of the principle of first mention, because of those patterns that we formed in our mind, the lies we have believed all our life tend to have a power and a stronghold that keeps us devoid of the fullness of what it means to live with Christ. And so what happens is we give our life to Jesus and we talk about being new creations and new patterns and God loves us. And we actually don't get to step in the fullness because we still identify with the truth or the lies that we've believed all our life. This happened regularly for Jesus. So if you've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Jesus continually butts up against these religious leaders. So we have these religious leaders in the Bible. They have been waiting for Jesus. For thousands of years, the Jewish people have been waiting for Jesus, the Messiah, to come. And what happens? He's standing in front of them, and they can't receive him. Because they had this understanding or this impression of who they thought Jesus was going to be. And all of a sudden, he's there, and it's completely different to the lies they've believed about who Jesus was going to be. And they can't receive him. And one of these examples of these confrontations happened in John 8. So if you're there, John 8, we're going to read from verse 42 to 45. And sorry, I'm going to keep stopping through it. All right, verse 42 of John chapter 8. Jesus said to them, so Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. In other words, if you knew who your true identity was, if you actually identified with the true Father God, you would actually recognize the truth that Jesus is standing in front of you. But because their truth was based on a lie, they couldn't recognize him. They identified in a different way. I have not come on my own. So let's continue. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Verse 43, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Do you know what? Lies block our ears to truth. He's, he's speaking truth. Truth is standing in front of them, but they can't hear them. It says, why are you unable to hear what I say? They form this stronghold in their mind, this pattern of thinking that is based on a lie, and they can't hear the truth. Lies block truth to us. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. This gets pretty harsh, doesn't it? He's speaking to the religious leaders, the people that think they're amazing, and he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. I love the contrast. If we go back to verse 42, he says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. If your identity is in the father, in contrast, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Truth and lies can't coexist. And so they've identified with a lie, and they've identified with what Jesus is calling the father of lies, the devil. 
It says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. As I said, lies and truth cannot coexist. Let's finish it off. When he lies, he speaks his native language. So he's talking about the devil. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. When we believe a lie from the devil, we empower the liar. That is the devil. And he's going to do everything he can for us to stay bound by the lie. Like Cudgeon said last week, we just have to get a degree off. He just needs to get a wedge in. And he's going to continue to drive that wedge in between a truth and a lie. And we're going to end up identifying with a lie like these religious leaders. They thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were loving God, but they'd identified with the lie of the devil. And all of a sudden, they're going further and further away from Jesus. The interesting thing is, when we believe a lie and someone speaks truth to us, it sounds like a lie. If I think back to my son, for something he's known is what is the color green, and I tell him it's red, it's so ingrained that he thinks I'm telling him a lie. When we believe a lie and it creates a stronghold in our life, any truth that comes in or we read the word, we think it's a lie, or we think it doesn't apply to us, or we think it is from back then. So this includes when we hear the truth from the word. When we hear the truth and it confronts what we've known about our identity from our upbringing or what people have spoken over you, it can often feel like a lie that we're hearing. But there's good news. There is good news that the truth from God has the power over the lies from the enemy. You are not bound. You may feel bound, but the truth And the Holy Spirit coming in can break open that lie and allow the truth. And I'm going to tell you how we're going to do that today. It sounds easy when I say it. It's not. Sometimes we hear a truth and it's cool, I'll take that, and it becomes part. But more often than not, those lies that have kept us bound, it's hard to break out of that. It's so ingrained in us that it forms our identity. And our identity is hard to shift. But what happens is the Holy Spirit's going to make a way. The Bible says the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. That's his job. That's his role. One of the things he does is to guide us into truth. So if you're reading the Word and you haven't invited the Holy Spirit in, you're going to find it really difficult. But when we invite the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit in, he's going to make a way because his role is to guide us towards truth. And he's going to break down those barriers and bit by bit by bit, you and I are going to get to live in freedom and life with Christ. Paul speaks of this bit by bit change in Romans 12.2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing is a process. It's not just a, a great exchange is this process. So it's not about all of a sudden, cool, I've got the truth and I'm going to live the truth. No, it's a renewing. It's a change that needs to happen, and it's going to take time. For many of us, it's going to take a lot of time for us to continue to hear truth. And bit by bit, the Holy Spirit's going to break down those barriers and kick down those walls, and we're going to see the truth allowed in as we create a wedge in that lie that we've believed all our life. It says, Then you're about to test and approve what God's will is, His good 
pleasing and perfect will. I love this because it moves us beyond as we renew our mind and we get truth in us. All of a sudden, I'm not having to pray for three weeks to try and find out what God's will is. I know the truth. I know what Jesus would say in this moment. I know what his response would be. And so I get to test and approve. As I renew my mind, I get to know what the will of God is. I get to know what his response would be. I get to know where I'm going to pursue the lost and the broken. And as different situations come across me, I know what Jesus would do because I've been renewing my mind. It's a process. Renewing is a process empowered by the Holy Spirit that forms new ways of thinking and new default responses. And most often we need to read the Word, often out loud. I encourage you, if you're just reading the Word and you're coming across um, something that conflicts with what you believe about yourself, to start declaring it out loud. Just repeating it over and over. No, my God loves me. No, my God loves me. No, my God loves me. And when you come across that lie, because the devil's going to try and get back in there. The moment you start to believe a truth, he's going to say, remind you of the lie. I remember Kajan was talking about that the devil uses legitimate things for his gain. So when he spoke about the scripture to Jesus, he was using it in the wrong context. He was using it to create deception. But what happens is the, the devil is going to come back in and try and put that wedge back in. So as you get truth, I encourage you to be repeating it. And if that's something like you've got one specific thing that keeps you bound, I encourage you every morning when you get up, every time you go to bed, every time you get in the car or the shower, every time you work through the door of your workplace, to be saying that truth over and over. And if I think of even, I've spent lots of years in the Word, and I'll come across just different situations and scriptures come to mind. And so what happens is when we have those scriptures stuck in our memory and we've renewed our mind, as we come across those lies, we get to replace it with truth because we just know it. I know this verse because it's changed my life. And so I repeat that. Okay, I encourage you to do that. To help this make sense, let's apply it to a few lies that we may have believed. For some of you, this lie might apply to your life. For others, it might mean nothing, and that's okay, and that's wonderful. You've got your identity set. Now, as I read these lies that we're going to replace with truth, I want you to be thinking... Firstly, do I believe that lie? And if that's a yes, we're going to go after that. The second thing is, if you say, no, I don't believe it, I want you to say, well, do my actions show that I believe it? Do my responses to difficult situations show that I believe it? Because often we can know a truth, as I said before, but often our actions demonstrate that we think something completely different. So let's give it a go, okay? Here's the first lie. I am useless. I have no purpose. God can use everyone else, but he can't use me. Let me say it again. I am useless. I have no purpose. God can use everything else, but he can't use me. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this truth that we're about to read in the scripture. If we have patterns of thinking that don't align with you, we ask that you would replace it with the truth. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you guide us into all truth as we read your word. All right. Ephesians 2.10, here's some truth for you if you believe that lie. It says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, he's talking about you. 
He's talking about you, and sometimes that's really hard to read. So let's read it again. I'm reading it. I am God's handiwork. I'm saying this on behalf of you, okay? I am God's handiwork. I have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. It changes the perspective when you personalize it. It says, actually, do you know that you are created in the image of God? He created you perfect. God, the perfect one, created you perfect, and he calls you his handiwork. He doesn't create imperfection. He doesn't create uselessness. He doesn't create things with no purpose. That you have a purpose, and you are needed, and you are God's handiwork, his special creation that is created for you. And his plans for you in your life which he's prepared in advance for you to do. So he hasn't just said, I'm going to make this amazing thing. He's like, actually, I need these things done. I have this purpose, so I'm going to create this person. And that applies to you. So he thought about you before you were created. He thought about what was needed in the world, and he said, I'm going to create you, and you are needed. Romans 12, 4 to 6. Let's get some more truth in. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. It can feel like a lot of mumbo-jumbo, so let me slow it down for you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, so I have eyes and I have ears and I have arms and legs and hands and different parts of my body... Each of these different parts form one body. Each of those parts is needed in my body. And they don't have the same function, it says. They're all different. So in Christ, we, you and I, though are many, form one body. So together we are needed to form one body. And each member, you and I, belong to each other. You and I belong to each other. Only by you and I belonging to each other do we form one body. And you and I have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. What does that say? You are needed. You are essential. I can't fulfill my purpose without you. You can't fill your purpose without me. The body of Christ cannot glorify Jesus without us all taking our place. And the moment you find that you call yourself useless or there's no purpose for you, or why did God create me? you and it was a pointless. The moment you say that, and I'm sorry if that's your truth, it's not judgment, it's like, actually there's something better, you are needed. And as you feel that, you're going to feel rejected, but do you know what? The truth, the Holy Spirit is going to come and convict you and say that you are needed, that each of you are needed. Not just those that are on staff, not just those that have apparent giftings or those that are confident or those that grew up as Christians. It's each of us are needed. And without us fully taking our place as who God created us to be, the body doesn't function properly. We've seen that hundreds of years throughout churches. The body is not functioning right if all of us don't take our place. You are needed. You are essential. God can use you. He will use you. God and us need you. That's the truth. Let's have a look at another truth. This is, sorry, the lie. This is not the truth. 
This is a lie. I have sinned too many times. Anyone said that? I am worthless. I am not worthy of Jesus' forgiveness. Remember, it's not just whether you intellectually know that as truth. It's whether you live that out. I have sinned too many times. I am worthless. I am not worthy of Jesus' forgiveness. Holy Spirit, invite us into truth right now as we read your word. Romans 5, 6 to 8. You see at just the right time. I love this. I'd never really grabbed that before, that word, at just the right time. At just the right time when we were still powerless. So he chose to come in at the time that you and I couldn't earn salvation on our own, that you and I couldn't be good enough for God's love. At just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. You can't have sinned too many times to be lower than ungodly. That's the opposite of godliness. He died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. I hope that truth rings loud for you. The truth is that Christ gave every, God gave everything for you in the form of Jesus. He gave his only son. If I think of Jesus like he is glorious and he is wonderful and he is majestic and powerful, he's the king of kings, the lord of lords, and that's who God chose to die on the cross for you. He took a beating for you. He was nailed to the cross for you. He took a beating for me. He was nailed to the cross for me. Your value is, in not, your value is, is not in how you see yourself. Your value is in the price that was paid for your life. There couldn't have been any higher price paid for your life than the perfect Messiah, Jesus. The King of the kings and the Lord of lords went to the cross for you. Your value is determined by the sacrifice and the price that was made for your life. You are extremely valuable. And do you know what? He knew your failures. He knew your mess. He knew the sin you would repeatedly go back into. And he still chose to give the highest price for you. That's what he paid for you. I'm not talking about the person next to you. I'm talking about you. Don't dismiss this. And if you've got a, a lie that, that you feel that you're worthless and you're a failure and you've sinned too many times, this truth is for you. He died for you in your mess. You are not worthless. You have not sinned too many times. The Lord chose to die for you and he has redeemed your life. And he calls you the highest price. 1 John 1, 9 to 2, 2. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Right here, they're identifying you. If you feel like you're a failure and you're a sinner, the writer is saying, we know that you sinned. I know that I have sinned. 
Let's not pretend, doesn't matter how many times I've done it, I'm still a sinner. It's saying if we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. So he's actually talking to those that are sinners. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So he's not saying, hey, I've written this so that you would keep on singing and grace would abound. He's saying, no, I'm writing you this so that you will not sin, but don't identify with this now. Because it's easy for us to stop there and say, oh, but he's saying, he's not writing it so we would sin, so if I keep on sinning, it's not for me. And he's like, no, it says this, but if anybody does sin, so he then addresses it straight away. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The truth is that we're all going to sin. That's the truth. It says if we claim we haven't sinned, we're a liar. The truth is that we've all sinned, but that is why Jesus died for us. No person's sin is beyond his forgiveness. Your sin is not more powerful than his forgiveness. Your sin is not more powerful. Don't think you have the ultimate sin that's more powerful than his forgiveness. It's not the truth. His forgiveness is more powerful than anything that you could think of to put in the way of it. There is nothing that can stand in the way of his forgiveness. No matter how many times you have sinned, his forgiveness overcomes it. Let's look at another lie. I have been rejected and unwanted by God. God chooses other people. He doesn't choose me. Let me say it again. I've been rejected and unwanted by God. God chooses other people. He doesn't choose me. I think this lie has one of the most powerful effects on our relationship with God and our relationship with others. When we feel rejected and unwanted, we actually can't receive truth. We can't receive encouragement. We can't receive people calling us out our identity. It has one of the biggest effects on our relationship with God and others, and it breaks up churches. When shame comes in, it rejects everything around it. And if that's how you feel, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that's how you feel. My heart goes out to you. Feeling like an orphan and rejected. It just creates such chaos in our life. But there is truth that can overcome that today. And I think, I know, the Holy Spirit is going to replace that lie in your life today. And we're going to sing a a song um, soon, and we're going to declare it as truth. We're actually going to replace that lie, and I think you're going to find that your life changes completely. If we move from being a rejected orphan to being a son and a daughter, everything will change in your life. Your relationships will change. Your workplace will change. Your marriage will change. Your parenting will change. Romans 8, 15 to 17. Holy Spirit, guide us into truth. Verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. 
The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Get that truth into you. You are not an orphan. The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. It brought about your adoption to daughtership. And by him, by that spirit we receive, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may, we, we may also share in his glory. He didn't just save you and redeem you so you would come and be a slave and earn your place in the family. We've been talking about this orphanship to sonship for a while now. He didn't redeem you so you would come and be a slave and many of us come into relationship with God and we try and earn, the, earn our forgiveness that was already dealt with at the cross. You can't earn your forgiveness. The only way to get forgiveness is to surrender to the gift of forgiveness that he gives us. You can't earn it. You haven't been rejected and therefore chosen to be a slave. You've been called into family as a son and a daughter, it says. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And not just his child. There's even better news. We're actually heirs. So he brings us into this family and appoints us and says, actually, you are co-heirs with Christ. And that's hard for my head to grasp. It says here the truth. You are co-heirs with Christ. He invites you into that special relationship and that special family. And that's the truth. God has chosen you to be in his family. Let that hit the lie that you are rejected and unwanted. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10 says in that, that you are God's special possession. Let's say it together. I am God's special possession. Let's say it again. I am God's special possession. If you're feeling rejected throughout your day, quote that scripture. I am God's special possession. That's the truth. And it is so hard. To, I had a wonderful upbringing, but I still struggle with that. It's something that, that messes with our system, that, that I am God's special possession, that I'm a co-heir with Jesus. Because we feel undeserving, and yes, we are undeserving. But he still made a way that we would come into that place, and that's why it's so hard sometimes to receive forgiveness, because we want to earn it. But as I said, you can't earn forgiveness. You can only lay down and say, I accept it, Lord. And he appoints you into his family. You are God's special possession, his most prized possession. I am not talking about the person next to you. I am talking about you. You are God's special possession. Let that truth hit you. Now let's add to that truth. If I can invite the team up, please. Let's add to that truth. The truth is that you are loved and that you are wanted. Let that hit that lie you've believed head on. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would break down that wall that prevents that truth coming into people's life. You are loved and you are wanted. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, 
and that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on you. You haven't got this little measure. You haven't got a drip of love. He has lavished it on you. And that's demonstrated in Him calling us children of God. Let truth confront the lies. Let truth break down the strongholds in our life. So what I encourage you to do is, as you're reading the Word, and if you're finding you're struggling to get into the, into the Word, I encourage you just on your commute, get the Bible app. It's easy to find. It looks like a Bible. Search for the Bible. Download it. Click the little icon up the top that has a little speaker on it, and it will read it to you. You can be cruising on your way to work. You could be dropping the kids off at school. You could be doing the dishes, and you could allow truth just to get into your life. I encourage you, if you don't know where to start, start in the New Testament, somewhere like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Head towards the end of the Bible and get some of that truth. Allow Jesus to minister to you. And as you're getting that truth and you can come across um, something that feels like a lie or doesn't apply to you, I encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit in and just say, Holy Spirit, I need you to guide me into truth. This is a struggle to read this. I ask you to invite me into truth today. What we're going to do, this song's called Who You Say I Am. It's straight out of Scripture. It's truth of the Word. And we're going to sing it and we're going to declare it. I don't typically would choose songs that put the focus on us. But do you know what? If we get our identity right, that is a great form of worship. If we actually live a life that He died for and created us for, that is worship. And so as we sing these truths and it confronts lies, I want you to sing it even louder. So when we sing a line in it that says that I am chosen and not forsaken, if you don't feel chosen, if you feel forsaken, I want you to sing that twice as loud as you would normally sing. And we're actually going to declare these truths. I'm going to let the verbalization, the declaration of that um, wash over us. And if you're really struggling to sing it, there's going to be another few hundred people here singing it over you too. So let's sing this declaration. I invite you to stand. one more verse, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We are not reading words that were 2,000 years ago to the applied back then. This is not truth that is outdated. This is truth that is relevant now as it was back then. Everything we read, everything we declare is truth right now for your life. So let's sing.
resonating in you and you want some physical response, I encourage you to come and fill up the frontier as an act of faith in God of saying, like I'm confronting these lies right now, I'm going to step forward and receive the truth. So I encourage you, this space is here for you. i 
Yes, I am. All right, what we're going to do, I'm just going to get everyone to drop out except for one guitar. We're going to sing it out loud. We're going to declare it. I want the voices to be heard. And whatever level you have before, we're going to double it. And we're just going to all just fill this room with a declaration in the bridge that we are chosen and that we are not forsaken. And so... I encourage you, just because they're singing quietly, that doesn't give you an excuse to sing quietly. Let's declare to God the truth of who we are. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. We just declare that truth, Jesus that we are who you say we are. We rebuke the lies, we renounce the lie that we are anything different than that. And we declare that we are who you say we are, that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are children, that we are sons and daughters. I declare that over the voice here of everyone hearing me, that you are chosen, that you are wanted, that God loves you, that he has forgiven you, that you have been redeemed, your life has been redeemed. And He has chosen you. You are His special possession. You are God's handiwork. You are no longer a slave, but you are a child of God. And that is your true identity. And so I speak that over you right now. And I just say, if anyone doesn't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to Him, He is trustworthy. He is wonderful. Your life will be forever different and forever better. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but He actually comes deep down and He chooses to be your friend. He chooses to be your brother and He chooses you. And so I'm just going to pray. If this is you, I encourage you to pray this with me. Let's say, Jesus, I choose you. I give my life to you. I receive your forgiveness. And I choose to make you Lord of my life. You're not going to understand everything. But saying yes to Jesus now is the start of a journey into understanding that. 
So I encourage you, if you've said that for the first time, I encourage you to come up and get prayer. We're going to have the, the prayer team here, up here, and they're just going to be ministering to you. If you want prayer, please approach one of them. These, these are people that I really trust. If they've got a lanyard on, they're people I trust to pray for you. So I encourage you to come and get prayer. You've got a few minutes, so your buzzer's going to go off, and I encourage you to go get your kids. Please stay. Please connect with your brothers and sisters. They are brothers and sisters. Get to know them. Champion them on. If you're in your conversations and you're hearing lies spoken, I encourage you, speak truth to the people that you're talking to. We all need truth in our life. Let's not just wait to get home and get in the Word. Let's speak truth to each other. I encourage you to get prayer. If you've said yes to Jesus for the first time, please be bold and come up and we would love to pray for you. God bless you.